Okay, we are back. You this made is, it to part two. This is part two with Mark Priestley, aka F1 Elvis. Man, I'm actually, I'm actually shocked. I could have spoke with this guy for like another three hours. Yeah, well, we're filming this after we've done the episode. He's gone now. He's gone to do the rest of his work today. But oh my God, like Fab said, I could have sat there for hours. This chat was amazing. We hope you guys have loved it. There's going to be clips on YouTube as well. So if you want to watch this, our YouTube is at Pitstop. Go and like it. Our Instagram's at Pitstop as well. Send us in any other guests you want us to get on. Absolutely, yeah. Any recommendations are great. We'll reach out to everyone. Like somehow we had this guy sat on our sofa. He come to our our house on our sofa it's pretty cool it's really cool yeah so guys please enjoy part two uh leave us any comments on the youtube or dms let us know what you liked about the episode and who else you'd love to have on but without further ado let's fly straight into it part two with mark Priestley. absolutely love this episode enjoy it i remember i watched um because you you do really well online with your media and youtube i think you do it really well like it's interesting to hear your stories and how you remember everything and like i said to you when you got i listened to tales in the treehouse your youtube thing yeah where you were speaking about the day that lewis hamilton was in f2 or yeah. something and then came into the garage and you were speaking to him showing the car yeah that's it'd be right. interesting to talk about that quickly because i had to turn it off because i didn't want to know everything <laughs> but yeah like, that was that was he was a gp2 driver which is the old f2 uh, in 2006, and he was always a McLaren young driver, but he hadn't been announced as an F1 driver at that point. So he was, he was like the next category down. But they were racing at the same circuit, and I was working on Kimmy's car one evening on a Friday, and Lewis came in on a Friday night, and it happened to be everyone else in the team had gone for dinner, but I was still finishing something off. So I was in the garage on my own. Was this at a circuit? Yeah, it was. I forget which track it was, maybe Germany, but. Lewis wandered in and I sort of knew who he was. So I said hello, but we'd never spoken. Then he sort of really nervously introduced himself and just sort of looking around the car as I was tinkering away. Mm. And he gradually sort of built up enough confidence to ask me a couple of questions. And he's asking about these bits on the car. And we ended up chatting for like an hour about the most intense detail of how the car works. And wow. not just what does that bit do? What does that bit do? But how does that bit talk to that bit? Like the electronics and... He wanted to know so much more technical detail than any race driver I'd, I'd actually ever worked with. So wow. he had more interest in our car than Kimmy did <laughs> as, as a current race yeah. driver. And it gave me a proper insight into, you know, Lewis's mentality where he's looking for any little advantage. He's, and he's still the same today. Even when he joined us as, a, as an F1 driver, he will never stop to find any way that he might be able to be better. So his mentality was if he knows how the car works, he can then adapt his inputs to you know, to get the best out of it. And not many racing drivers understand the level of technical, you know, understanding that he has, but it's all deliberate. It's because he goes out and there and searches for it and looks for it and speaks to the people who've designed the car and built it. And, you know, I found that a real eye opener that um, of all the racing drivers I'd worked with, not many wanted to go into that level of depth of how one electronic box talks to another and where the wires go and, and mm. you know, every single detail is yeah. amazing. Amazing insight. You still see that now with him because yeah. obviously Mercedes, oh, and I wanted to get your opinion on this too, but before we go into it, Mercedes obviously not doing the best this year, but they have pro like progressed every, every race. Well, they're every, incredibly consistent. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can see Lewis is always on it. Like every yeah. week he's like, we've done this this week. And you know, if we can get to here next week, so you can tell that even That's now it. he's into it. And it is a Formula One culture. You know, every, all the best teams are looking for, you know, marginal gains. It's common you know, uh, term that people use, marginal gains, where you're just looking for a 1% improvement on every single thing that you do. Mm. And that's from the drivers to the pit stop crew to, to everybody. If you can improve by 1% over what you did yesterday, that, you know, gradually moves you forward. Um, 
I think that's what Mercedes have been really impressive with this year because, you know, to, to win a world championship is an indescribably difficult thing to do. And you need so many elements to be perfect to make it happen. You know, it's like the ingredients of a cake. You know, if you've got nine out of ten, you're going to get an average cake. You're not going to it's not going to taste quite right or it won't rise. Yeah. You need all ten. And, you know, over the last seven years or so, I think Mercedes and Lewis have pretty much had all ten. You know, they've got everything right. Yeah. They've got the whole package. And that's why they've been so dominant. And this year, they've still got nine out of ten, but the car hasn't quite been right. They've still got the right team, the right people, the resources in the right place, the right team culture. They've got the right attitude. All of those things are still there that made them champions for seven years on the trot. And I think just the fact they didn't quite get the car right with this changing set of regulations, yes, it means they're not at the very top, but because everything else is there, they'll get there and they'll gradually incrementally improve the car until it's the final ingredient is back in place. Mm. And, you know, it's much easier to, to go that way round, I think, than stumble across, across a great car, which, and I mean, no disrespect to Ferrari. I know you're a Ferrari fan, aren't you? Well, yeah. We, oh, that'd be me. That'd, that'd, I'm, I'm me, kind yeah. of a bit more rebel, but we both are. But we did want to yeah. say, like, from you working in a garage and knowing this from inside sport, like, what do you think is wrong with Ferrari? Well, I was going to say, you know, I don't want to say Ferrari have stumbled across a great car because they haven't. They've built a fantastic car, the best car on many occasions this year. But Started off really strong. Oh, incredible, right? But they, they don't have all the ingredients. They don't have, I, I suspect... And I strongly, I mean, I think I know this to some extent. I've a lot of people that I know work or have worked at Ferrari and it feels like the culture's not right. It feels like the team environment isn't conducive to people making decisions on the fly and taking risks. It, and you have to have all of those things. You see it in races, don't you? You see it when they're a little bit hesitant on the radio. And, you know, a team like Red Bull or Mercedes, it feels like you have the, the people in that team have the freedom to like to make a decision that might be a little bit out there, a little bit outside the box, might be a risk, but everybody's trusted to just make that. And if yeah. it goes wrong, you know, that's fine. You took the risk, you, t you pay the price, but you learn from the mistake and all that. I think at Ferrari, if they take a risk, if anyone's going to take a risky decision, they're terrified of the reprisals that yeah, are going to come from that. that. Well. Get scolded. Did you see so you Bonotto like, wagging his finger yeah, at Charles you know, Leclerc? Like, that's, the, that's the wrong attitude. And I, I don't think also asking the drivers what this, what strategy they want is the right thing. It just all feels like there's a lack of confidence. And I know that comes from, from not having won. You know, Ferrari, a big, great team with massive history and they haven't won for a long time. You know, Kimi was the last championship winner, 2007. That's, hey, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, so you do struggle. You have to sort of almost learn again to win. I always used to sort of, when people said you, your team's got to learn how to win, I always just think, what are they talking about? You know, you don't have to learn how to win. You just got to do everything right and you'll win. But mm. it's not that it's not that easy. You do have to learn to get back into winning ways. And I think McLaren have suffered the same thing. You know, you need a win or a great result to give you confidence to then take the next step and to start being a little bit more confident in your decision making. It's those little incremental boosts in confidence <clears throat> that breed winning. And I think they've been missing that for a long time. For sure. I liken it to boxing in a way. And I don't know if you follow boxing. Yeah. Anthony Joshua's kind of on a string of yeah. of losses at the minute. And I feel like he could be in a hole now he can't get out of. Yeah. Whereas when he was winning, he was absolutely smashing it. Yeah, it's the same with football teams. It's any sport, isn't it? And probably the same in life. But sport's a really good way to, to visualise it for so many people. You, know, you see so many football teams that you know, don't play with confidence because they've had a, a string of bad results where they're, instead of looking for that ball that's threaded through the, the back four to get a, an attacker running on, they're playing it backwards mm -hmm. or they're playing it sidewards. And that comes from confidence. They're not willing to take that risky ball that mm. could well see you on for a goal, but if it goes wrong, you've lost it. Yeah. 
And I think that's what that's the same in Formula One. And it feels like, without any disrespect to Ferrari, it feels like that's what's happened. Agree, agreed. I just want to swing back to um, what I was saying about Lewis in the garage when you met him for the first time, because I have a question. When you met him then, and you were chatting to him for like an hour, did you know at that point that this is, could be the next <laughs> greatest driver? Like what, what point did you know and McLaren know, like we've got like a world champion? Yeah, uh, you know, I've heard so many people come out the woodwork and say, yeah, I knew he was going to be great back. You know, I could see it back in the day. Yeah. I don't believe any of it. I believe, really? I believe the first time I properly knew wasn't until, I don't know, it was early in his McLaren race career. So he joined us as a rookie and, and his teammate was Fernando Alonso, who at the time was the world champion. Driver. I'll explain why. I think you might know why, but I'll explain why. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, his teammate was Fernando, who was the world champion. So he got a rookie on one side and the world champion on the other. <clears throat> and, you know, actually back then, when, when, he, when they announced these two guys would be our new two, two new drivers, inside the team, everyone behind the scenes was fighting to get onto Fernando's car. Like nobody wanted to work with Lewis. Wow. Well, wow. he's the rookie, right? So if you're going to have any mm. success, it's not going to be with him. It's going to be with a world champion. Yeah. So we're all wanting to have a good year. We all want to mm. win the championship the same as they do. So of course, I don't want to be on Lewis's car. I want to be on this guy's car. And there were squabbles behind the scenes from the race, the race engineers, the mechanics. And in the end, it had to be sorted out by team management. You know, right, you are working with these guys and you're working with these guys. But very quickly, I mean, I'm talking like four or five races in, it became very clear that Lewis was as good and on days better than, than the current world champion. Wow. So from then, in that first season, you start to see, although he doesn't have the experience, he's definitely got the talent, he's got <clears> the speed, and he's got this unbelievable drive where he already, already believes that he's you know, as good as the current world champion. Yeah. If you're measured up against the guy who's deemed the best in the sport and you're beating him on some days, as Lewis is this young whatever he was 21 or 22 year old his mentality is well I must be better than him or I'm as good as him yeah. Yeah. and you could see it and that again breeds confidence and he starts going for things and very quickly starts winning races and you know as, as you may well know in 2007 he narrowly missed out on the championship in his first year right I was going to say yeah, 2007 so that's why Fernando is my favourite driver because in 2006 I saw I was at Silverstone yeah and I think he won that race yeah Alonso, that's that right race. in the Renault, yeah. So what is he? Because he, we saw him in the, we saw him on the grid, didn't we? Again in Zambor, yeah. So, ran yeah, past. Hello. Every time he runs past, like one of us always tries to say hello, <laughs> always ignores us. But you said hello. <laughs> Look, to yeah, him. Fab loves him, and the one time I said it, he turned round. He's like, <laughs> oh, every time he walks past, I'm normally looking the other way, and then Jake's always like, that's fucking Alonso. <laughs> I think it happens for a reason. So I just be like. <sighs> Yeah, well, do you know, people always say to me, I mean, the, the perennial question is, who's the best driver in, in the history of Formula One? So Everyone awesome. asks it. It is an impossible question to answer. And the only way that I feel I can answer it is the best driver that I've had the privilege to work with. Because that's the only way you, you know, from the outside, when you're watching the sport, all you see is the results. Yeah. You know, you see who won the race and who came last. And, you know, if you were new to Formula One right now and you'd, you knew nothing about it, you'd switch the telly on and you'd look at Lewis and you go, well, he's an average driver. He's sort of you know, top of the midfield. That's so true. Isn't it? It's, it's, That's it's so, so true. true that you say that because when it's, this is how we got into the sport to just explain it of why I got a blown away moment of Lewis Hamilton. We started watching it when there's title battle end of last year. Yeah. We didn't even know there was a title battle. Yeah. And Max Verstappen was on the period of like winning a couple or whatever. And then it was Brazil. And Lewis Hamilton was at the back of the grid because he had a grid penalty. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand grid penalties. So I was like, I was at the back of the grid. 
And then out of nowhere, Lewis Hamilton has won the race from the back of the grid. And I literally looked at Fab. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's why, why he's that's Lewis why he Hamilton. He's just won yeah. from the back. But it's true. If you turned it on now. You'd say Max or Charles. Yeah. So, so the world has this perception of what's that's been generated by results. Mm. You, know, you know, if you look at the, the overall picture of Lewis, he's a seven-time world champ. Of course, he's one of the best. But even that, I don't think, tells a story because you have to know what they're like outside of the car, what they like when they get back into the garage and their feedback to the team and how do they interact with the team? How do they build a team around them? That What comprises a great Formula One driver is not just the bit behind the wheel. Of course, that's an important bit and it's the bit we all see when we flick the telly on. Mm. But when you work in a team, you get such a much bigger insight into what that driver's like, the overall picture of what goes into being an F1 driver. And um, so to answer your question, the answer that you know, I give when people say, who's the best driver? In my own personal experience, it's impossible for me to pick between Lewis and Fernando. They're the two most complete drivers that I would have ever worked with. Kimi was the fastest, as I said earlier, over a lap. Kimi, in his day, nobody could I can beat. see that. I can yeah. see Kimi just pedal to the metal. Just, yeah. I'm having this. He pushed it a little bit But further. Kimi was far from being the most complete Formula One driver. I mean, he won a world championship, so you can't knock him. Yeah. But he only won one. Right? And I firmly believe if he'd, I mean, he had no desire to do this, but if he'd applied himself like a Lewis Hamilton, he could have gone on to win many world championships. Yeah. He had that amount of talent. Mm. Whereas Lewis does apply him. He's still to this day, still looking for every marginal gain, every little advantage he can. I think Fernando's exactly the same. They went about it in different ways, those two. But I think Fernando and Lewis were the two that try to encompass everything to be the best Formula, the whole best Formula One driver, not just the bit behind the wheel. For Kimi, he loved being behind the wheel. Everything else about Formula One, he hated. Wow. <laughs> I get that, all the media and that. Yeah, yeah, couldn't stand it. He just wanted to drive. Why do you think Alonso only won two championships? Could he have won more? Yeah, I mean, look, if you look back at the, the nuances of Fernando's career, he was in the right place at the wrong time or the wrong place at the right time on so many occasions. and In terms of teams or in terms yeah, of just on the track? Or? Both. Well, in terms of teams, his decisions about where he went at which times were, you know, un I mean, with hindsight, it's easy to say. Questionable. Yeah, I'm questionable. thinking about that now with Aston Martin. There like, you go. Mm. Uh, he could have been a six or seven time world champion, I think, if decisions and, and moments had gone a slightly different way. You've got to put some of that down to him. And I can tell you from my own experience of working with him at McLaren, when I said to you, him and Lewis went about being the best Formula One driver in slightly different ways. Mm. One of Fernando's tactics is to try and bring the whole team over to his side of the garage. He tries to wrestle control. Yeah, I've heard this. Um, you know, there was a moment during 2007 when we had them both where I think it was Hockenheim or Hungary in 2007, somewhere like that, where... Fernando turned up a race and I arrived and Fernando's manager or his trainer is handing out little brown envelopes stuffed with cash to everybody who wasn't on Lewis's car. No. So his team, the, the sort of support team, you know, I was running the T car team. We all got these little brown envelopes and I remember how, opening how, up how the envelope. How much was in there? It's like 1,500 euros or something. <laughs> God, it's great getting you on because you can actually tell us stuff. Yeah. You know, whenever we've had other people on, we have so many questions. We want I love to how it's in a brown envelope yeah, as well. it was so dodgy. Right? So <laughs> you first of all, you just get an unmarked brown envelope and I'm like, thanks very much, what's that? And he, you know, the trainer wanders off and you're left with this thing. So you sort of open it up it's literally just full of cash <laughs> and um and you start looking around at your colleagues you've all got them go have you have you opened yours and how much did you get <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden this starts spreading around the team and the only people that didn't get it were lewis's crew 
Oh, and, no. and all of a sudden, it starts to dawn on us what's happening here. He's, he's looking, you know, to gain support. He's trying to encourage, let's say, uh, people to, to sort of support his side of this intense battle that they were in. What a G. Uh, well, what a G. <laughs> <laughs> on one hand, you can say, yeah, it was a clever tactic. But, I mean, people. in the end, the team obviously found out about it and the team made us donate the whole lot to charity, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. um, sure some it. people had spent it, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'd have been like, oh, mine went to casino. <laughs> Big night out last night. Yeah, we weren't quick enough. but So that all went to charity, but it was an, a little insight into the two different mindsets. You know, Lewis did different things. Lewis played little games for the media. They all did things wrong and things right. You know, none of us are perfect, but they went about their, their strategy for encompassing the, the best Formula One driver was different, very different, both achieved great results in their own different ways, um, but they were very different approaches. Who was it driving when that taxi story came out? Was it the taxi uh, yeah. on the radio? Is that true? That was, What's yeah. This? That's actually Kiltar. a true story. Yeah, yeah, that was um, the British Grand Prix. I think it must have been like early 2000, 2001 or two. And I was working with DC, David Coulthard at the legend. time. Legend. Yeah, legend. And uh, yeah, it was tipping down, I remember, at Silverstone. And um, so because it was tipping down, it was wet, dry, wet, dry. So there were so many pit stops that day. And we had interference from a local Northamptonshire taxi firm mm. on our radio channel. <laughs> and nowadays, the radios are all like military-grade encrypted. But back then, they weren't. And, um, and honestly, DC was getting messages about a pickup at, you know, And every wow. time we tried to call him in for a pit stop, he missed like two or three pit stops because... We were saying box, 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 and he's getting, can you pick up two of us from Pizza Hut? <laughs> I can't believe that. That is yeah. unreal. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, who's your favourite team? Who are you rooting for this year? Like, are you still following it? Obviously, you still love yeah, the sport. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I still, to this day, I commentate on a lot of the races for BBC. So next time out, so was, uh, Singapore, I'm commentating for, for Five Live. So Amazing. that relationship, interestingly, like I said to you earlier, that's how it began for me in the the media sense, that little call up from Radio 5 Live. still there with them. And I'm, I'm now, it's come full circle. So Love now that. I commentate on the races for them. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I've, look, I've got this love for McLaren that will always be there. I can't, I can't really support anyone else. You've got to be impartial when you're doing things like commentary, of course. But obviously I've got a love for that team because it's the only team I ever worked for. And they changed my life, man. You know, they, yeah. they gave me the break. You know, I was writing to every single team for years trying to break into this sport and everybody wrote back saying, thanks, but no thanks for years. I've still got a stack of rejection letters at home from every team wow. over about three year period. And eventually, you know, McLaren just gave in. <laughs> I must have pissed them off so much. They just thought, <laughs> yeah, come on and get him in. And they gave me my break. And so, and also I, had, I spent this amazing 10 years there and, uh, and they changed my life, not only because it got me into this world that I dreamt of being in, but the things I learned, the things you learn being around these amazing people, not just the, the drivers, but the Adrian Newey's of this world, mm -hmm. the, uh, the Ron Dennis's, the everybody in a Formula One team at every level from the, the, the kind of guy who sweeps the floor to the guy who runs the company, they're elite level. Yeah. They're the best of the best. Yep. And when you're surrounded by that every day, you can't help but have it rub off. And, um, you know, it drives my missus mad now when I'm like, if she puts the kitchen bin with a little bit of bin liner poking out the outside, I'm like, what have you done there? You've got to get rid of that. Tuck it in. It's got to be neat and tidy. You know, I still have that. And it comes from McLaren. And I think it helps me. It pisses her off, but it helps me in my business <laughs> life, the companies that I run today, the companies I work with. All of that attention to detail comes from my time at McLaren. So I have a lot of love for them. That's great. That's amazing. It still wears off in your actual yeah, yeah. everyday life. Yeah. I was going to ask what, you, what you're doing like right now. 
But yeah. one thing I do know that you're oh, doing, go. which yeah. is fucking jokes, is by the cool. way, because we love the F1 2022 game. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is so <laughs> And I thought I recognised yeah. your voice. Yeah, me yeah. too. You're the race engineer. Have you started swearing at me on the screen yet? Because <laughs> I'm swearing at myself now. When I play it, it's driving. I'm even driving myself mad. I know I need to box for tyres. Shut up. Do you know what? It's fine because you can skip your bits. <laughs> Whereas Will Buxton, that intro oh, yeah, clip that he does, you can't clear, skip it. Yeah, yeah. The amount yeah. of times I've listened to that. You know what? That's that a dream for me, that little job. And it was amazing. It came, uh, it came because during lockdown, when Formula One was on hold, and I was heavy into my YouTube at that point because, you know, one of the other things I do now is film a long running car show called Wheeler Dealers. Let's go. And that Love was on, Wheeler Dealers. Love Wheeler yeah, Dealers. Uh, that was on hold because of COVID. We couldn't film. And so I threw everything into YouTube. So every day I just started vlogging and stuff. And, and one of the things I set up was a, a little interview with um, the game director at Codemasters. So that's how we got in touch with each other. Yeah. And then two, you know, it's two years later... He got in touch with me saying, listen, we're, we're looking to revamp the game. We want to refresh it all. And we want to get a proper, like a, a real life F1 technical person, yeah. engineering person in to be the engineer. Would you like to do it? I'm like, mate, of course. <laughs> Before we'd even finished the sentence, I was like, yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so I went in and I spent, I mean, it's crazy what it, what you have to do because you've got to record thousands and yeah, thousands say, and thousands. Like a massive of list, like, it's something like 30,000 lines you have wow. to record. Because it's like for every single driver, and it's F1 and F2, every one of those drivers, you've got to do a, you know, McLaren is a tenth of a second ahead. McLaren is 0.2 a second Great job. Every one of those. Box, and box. then <laughs> And then he's two tenths behind, three tenths behind, four tenths. And every single driver, every single possible scenario you can think of, we've recorded. How long did it take? It took about two months. Oh, wow. Not, I mean, not every day. For some day, reason, I thought you were going to say a couple of days. Like, no, just walk was, in there and read out a script. Like, I reckon it was about 20 actual days of recording. Like wow. full days of recording. Wow. And your voice is knackered at the end of it. But having said all of that, I loved it because I play that game and yeah. my kids play that game. Oh, and, uh, that's unreal. It's mad. You know, I, I hear now my kids in the other room playing the game and it's me jabbering <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I love it. You're always like, mate, that was a great overtake. Yeah. I'm like, fucking thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. It was good. Do you know one of the great things, I don't know if you've got that yet, but if you ever win the championship, they, um, there were these lines that they'd written for, the, for winning the championship. So it was, and the way that the old guy, Jeff, used to do it. So Jeff was a guy in the office that they got to do it years ago. And mm. it's just been carried on for years. And, um, and the sort of script was based on that. And um, for the moment you win the championship, they had these lines written of something like, you know, congratulations, you're world champion, you know, bring it home, pick up rubber on the way in, bring it home. And I was like, that's not what you'd say if you, were, if you just won the championship. I said, yeah. you'd be going mad. Yeah. And they were like, well, can you just record it that way? I said, I'll do it, but can you just open the mics and let me do it how you'd actually do it? And then we'll see what happens. And if you use it, fine. If not. So they said, yeah, right. So they opened the mics in the booth and they played the little um, sting in of, of someone winning the championship. And I just went absolutely mental. I was like, yes, yes, you won the championship. And I literally lost it for like 30 seconds. And it's, the, it's what's gone it's what in the game. Oh, yeah, we haven't won the championship yet. Because so. no, it's haven't. like, that's what you do. You wouldn't be going, yeah, congratulations, you, go you won the world championship. Yeah. You'd be going mental. So, yeah, yeah. so that was why they kind of brought me in. They wanted someone who hopefully would put a, a sort of authentic feel on it. And uh, this is a bit of a compromise this time around because we would have had a script and we didn't have time to rewrite it. But next time we're already looking at sort of completely redoing the script. So the terminology is a bit more natural. Yeah, and, and yeah. That, so I love that. I love that I've got that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. perfect person for it. Great yeah, voice. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah.
Do you miss going to Formula One? Do you go to many races now? Yeah, go to a few. I spent three years working for Sky. Um, I saw that. I saw you I was doing going... an interview or sat with George Russell at one point. Yeah. Maybe four years ago, talking about how British drivers are coming in. Yeah, yeah. So I did... Um, I did. I used to go to half the races with Sky, which is brilliant. It was a perfect amount because, like I said, I didn't want to travel all the time because that's what I, reason I stopped it. But going to half of them was perfect. Uh, since COVID, they're not taking the same number of people anymore, so that's not happening. But I do go to a few races here or there in various media capacities, and I love it. You know, the one thing I desperately miss is pit stops mm -hmm. because the adrenaline rush of a pit stop, I mean, you'll never replace it. It's insane. And I still, to this day, miss it. I loved it. It was always my dream. It's why I wanted to get into it. And I, as I said, did it for 10 years. So that bit I really missed. Were yeah. you working on the pit crew itself? So you were like changing yeah. your tire or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, for the whole 10 year period. So I did a you few jobs. Question as me. Yeah, we were probably both about to What's burst that? the same Which job did you do? No, well, what, we, what was your we, fastest pit was going to be mine? Oh, well, I've got another one because we couldn't ask these to Callum because he's currently with yeah. Rebel, so <laughs> he's probably getting slammed. Well, the, the fastest pit start, I don't know, because back for most of that time, we were refueling. So you'd, uh, when you stopped the cars, oh, as well as changing the tires, okay. you'd dump fuel in. So I did that job for a little while. We had the nozzle. You had to connect the fuel nozzle. That's a lot up. of pressure. Because it yeah. wasn't it Max Verstappen's dad. He got caught on fire. Yeah, that's that right. Shit. Yeah. And it's heavy, man. That's really heavy. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. Um, you know, we had a, I'll quickly tell you a great little trick, which is a top secret. I mean, it is in the book, so few people know it now. But at the time, right, these fueling nozzles, every team had the same kit. So it was a standard bit of kit and the rules meant you couldn't modify it. So it had to be, because it was safety, it was fuel going in. It used to deliver fuel at 12 litres per second. And as you'd connect it on, inside this giant nozzle, this little butterfly valve would whir open. That would allow the fuel to, to, to flow. And then when you had your required amount of fuel in, this motor would whir up again, it would close the valve, and then the lights would eventually turn green and you could disconnect it. And that used to sort of cost you a bit of time because you'd be waiting and waiting and waiting. The fuel would have finished, but you had to wait for this motorized valve inside the nozzle. You couldn't see it mm. to close before you then got the green light to disconnect. And uh, one of our bods in the, in the um, engineering office realized that that was a slight delay waiting for this motor to close the valve, whereas actually there's no fuel flowing at that point. So what we did was we got a doctor's stethoscope because you couldn't modify the rig. So we had a doctor's stethoscope with a bit in your ear the other bit running down the sleeve of your race overalls with the little bit the doctor puts on your chest concealed in your hand, right? So no one could see it. And as the nozzle went on, we'd hold that on the, the edge of the, um, the big Fuck. nozzle. So inside that, you could hear through the stethoscope, the motor starting to whir closed, whir up, because it'd be like, and you'd hear that before the green lights went green and so as soon as you started to hear this whirring sound we could disconnect the nozzle oh, that is genius. and it saved us it's enough that it was like a tenth so of a second right but that's enough to uh, give yeah. you advice yeah, and yeah. no one could figure it out because it, it was legal because we hadn't modified the rig yeah no one could see it no one knew it and no one could work out how we were disconnecting like fractionally before the lights had gone green and it was that tucked away behind the scenes a simple little doctor's stethoscope bonkers yeah, I love we that wonder stuff. like what kind of stuff that goes on now because I reckon people must still have like oh, little yeah. things yeah, they yeah, do yeah, and yeah, yeah there's some great stuff I mean that whole you know the whole pit stop thing and how you're looking for the tiniest margins I mean now you know you're talking it's slightly less this year with the changes but you know we're talking sub two seconds in the years gone by. And when you get to that level, you're looking for the tiniest, you're looking for hundreds or thousands of a second improvements. You know, you know there's no big chunks at that point. No. So then you're looking at crazy stuff like, um, I think it might've been Red Bull actually that came up with this idea of, of putting two lasers on the overhead gantries that sort of crossed at exactly the point of the height for your gun. So 
before the car even got there, there's this little crossing of laser Surely. lights. So you could hold the gun at exactly the right height. So when the car turned up, you don't have to move because you're oh, exactly yeah. at the right spot. And I mean, little touches like that, you know, are just genius. They're like tiny things, but it shows you the, the lengths that we're willing to go to yeah. to get any improvement. Was there anything uh, back then when you were working on the cars, which you did, which wasn't against the rules or you kind of bent the rules and then you got <laughs> scolded for it later in the this season? This is what you couldn't ask Callum, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, I'm, I've got another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff back then. The game was pushing the boundaries. Then someone would find out about it. You'd get pegged back and you'd look for another one. Um, I mean, there was a good one, actually, just before my time, actually. It was 99, I think, or 98. So I joined in 2000. But back then, so you have your two pedals. There's only two pedals in the cockpit. There's an accelerator and brake, and the clutch is on a hand clutch on the steering wheel. Um, so we had this idea that when you're going into a corner, we had a, someone came up with an idea of a third pedal, which is an extra brake pedal tucked down in the cockpit, which, as you're into a corner, would apply the brakes on the inside rear wheel because... When you start to spin up, when you go through the corner and you start to hit the accelerator, it's easy for that inside rear wheel to break traction. It's unloaded at that point. It's got less grip than the outside. And as you start to apply throttle, it's easy for that to spin. So you've got to be a bit more hesitant on the throttle. So we came up with this idea that if you press this third pedal, it would apply a tiny amount of braking on that inside rear wheel, which would stop it spinning. Wow. And then you could get onto the throttle a little bit earlier. So you could power out the corner sooner. And it was a, like an amazing idea. No one had thought of it before. And it was secret because it was buried away in the cockpit. No one could see the third pedal. Until one day, like these photographers started to take pictures of the car going through a corner. And all of a sudden, someone noticed that the right rear brake going through a right-hand corner was glowing bright red. Wow. And this is on the acceleration phase. You shouldn't even be on the brakes at that yeah. point. And it's glowing bright red. And people are starting to think, what's going on here? And these suspicions started arousing. And then one day, Mika Hakkinen broke down his car packed up at the side of the track. And one of the photographers who'd had all these suspicions, uh, Darren Heath, his name is, he came along and just out of curiosity. Fucking Darren. Jammed, <laughs> yeah, fucking Darren. He jammed his camera down inside the cockpit after Mika had got out and left his abandoned car and mm. just snapped a picture randomly. Saw When he got it, you know, got it out, he saw this third pedal I've got to see that gradually started to figure out what had gone on it blew the cover on this story and it got banned this, oh, the technology wow. got banned oh, so there's a few things there was another really good one which wasn't us which was Fernando Alonso at Renault I'm not sure if this was ever actually proven but I'm pretty sure it happened uh, was that he used here to we get go these, pit stop exclusive right yeah. there. <laughs> he used to get these amazing starts so the lights would go out on the gantry wherever Fernando was on the grid without fail he'd make up like five or six places we're like, how on earth has he done that consistently every time? What's he doing? Has he got traction control? That was banned. So, you know, there's all these suspicions saying, can someone check? Can the FIA, can you check he's not got traction control? No, perfectly clear. And anyway, what someone twigged was that when the, the guy who starts the race, the race director presses the button, what happens is he presses the start button and then there's like a random delay, I think up to five seconds between that button being pressed and the lights going out. It's mm -hmm. random so that no one can watch his finger being pressed and jump the gun, you know. Yeah. So there's a signal that when he presses the button, there's a signal that tells the lights to go out after a random period. And he'd got a little scanner on his car that was scanning frequencies and they'd identified the signal, the radio frequency, 
of that signal between the button and the lights. <laughs> and his what? car was had been tuned into that signal and it automatically launched the car oh my when he pressed word. the button. And it was one of those things you've got to have you take your hat off and go, mate, that is unbelievable. Mm. That is top jaw. Like, you've got to have respect for that. You've got some of the smartest people in the world working in these yeah. garages and pickers. Yeah, like, they're going to come up with the crazy ideas. I mean, it got banned as well. But yeah. for, a while, <laughs> for a while, he had an advantage. I wonder, a question I had was when there's like, uh, a pit stop and if someone gets something wrong or like Ferrari someone forgets a tyre or something back when you were working what would happen when the car goes off does, does, does everyone go mad at everyone yeah. do they get in trouble like no you know it's one of the most common questions I get everyone says to me if someone screws up a pit stop is that the last pit stop they ever do you know does it, do they get immediately sacked and it's not you know maybe way back in, in the day maybe that might have happened I don't know but Certainly during my time, we realised that if someone makes a mistake and they happen, we're all humans, we make mistakes. Yeah. The best person to figure out why that mistake was made and come up with a solution or be part of the solution to fixing it is that guy. So there's no point in getting rid of him. You've got to, you've got to put your arm around them and, and you know, as a team, Keep we look after. Team, yeah. yeah, and, you know, we, we very much are a real tight team unit. So if someone does make a mistake the team kind of gathers around and you know you've got support. But also, you include that person in the in the rebuilding process or, or finding a solution because there's no one better to do that than that yeah. guy. Yeah. So that is how Formula One teams operate. And it, I have to say, you know, I go into companies today, like consulting and talking to businesses about how they can be better. And I use Formula One as a model. And it's one of the things I say, you know, you've got to think more like that because people will make mistakes. And like we talked about Ferrari, if you want someone to take a risk or to think outside the box, they've got to have the freedom to know that if they do screw it up, they're not going to get fired. You know, yeah, they are definitely. going to have the team there around them and, and they will use that as a stepping stone onto success. Mm-hmm. I'll put the last question out there because we know you've got to shoot for your um, talk. What are you doing today? Yeah, I'm going to do one of those talks to a company, an insurance company, to talk to them about how they can be better as a team, as a business, using the Formula One model. I'll put a last question of... Have you ever done anything that has been a mistake? Is there something stand out <laughs> well, that you've mate, done? Mate, mate, I've made some mistakes in my time. But in terms of, of being at the track, and in terms, I don't think so, really. I mean, I've... Well, Callum put a spanner in a car and it went yeah, out. Yeah, I heard yeah. that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I mean, there was one time I remember being on the grid. And bear in mind, once you've got to the grid, that's it. Everything's done. So the last thing you ever do is send your car off from the grid and, and he's on the, on the race. And I remember standing next to it and you're all done and I'm sort of looking around just kind of just glancing an eye over the car and I look down and one of the the barge boards which they don't have anymore but these great big deflectors or bodywork pieces bolted to the side of the car and the screw this big sort of special flat aerodynamic screw is like completely unwound I'm like fuck (laughs) like that's hanging out and if that if that falls off the barge board's coming off Mm. shit like we've got 15 seconds to go I can't do anything here I got no you need a special tool to do it up yeah. and all I could do was with my thumb like do it up as best I could <laughs> oh, as tight as I could shit. I'm like pushing so hard on this thing to try and do it up and I'm almost breaking the barge board it's so much pressure and I'm like that's it there's nothing more I can do wound it up as tight as I could and off it went and I'm just sitting with my fingers crossed for the entire race and it made it, it made it all the, the way through race, done up with my thumb um, <laughs> so that was the only one I can think of in terms of um, of actually something technical I was you know I was back in the day when I said to you it was a party atmosphere I mean I've turned up for work drunk so many times <laughs> and the whole team has Same. I've seen drivers turn up for not a Grand Prix but for events where they're driving demo runs so drunk after a big party the That's night genius. before um, so we did that a lot. So the, the, the kind of um, 
the opportunity for things to go horribly wrong was massive back in the day because it was a lot less... I don't want to say it was less professional, but it probably was less professional if you compare it to today where it's a massive corporate sport mm. and the professionalism has gone through the roof. Back then, we partied a lot harder. We worked hard, but we played hard. And so people have made mistakes, but we also had this incredible ability somehow to, to do your job you know, with no sleep. And we'd just get into that habit and you'd, you'd go through a weekend partying all night, turning up for work the next day and still manage to somehow perform at what we thought was the highest level yeah i mean that's what we've noticed like you guys are absolute machines i <laughs> honestly don't know how you guys do it like yeah. we we don't really work when we go to races like <laughs> we just kind of kick about and even doing that is pretty bad yeah, we when you're hungover all we're doing is just drinking and people watching yeah. let alone actually working yeah. yeah yeah it's a great it's a great industry it's a great life and mm. uh, and the people that work in it are amazing people like i said they're the best of the best in everything they do They've all got there because they've excelled at, at all the levels up towards Formula One. So, you know, the mechanics, the engineers, the designers, the, the people who create the food. And you, know, you guys experience the food at the yeah, race. Amazing. It's insane, yeah. right? Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's like Michelin star food. But that's what you dine on every single week when you're part of that sport. So you become mm. accustomed to this, you know, incredible level of attention to detail in everything. And, and I think that just rubs off. So even if you've been out on a massive night out the night before you turn up and somehow you switch into this really focused, laser focused. I mean, not condoning that's what we should do because <laughs> today, you know, you don't, we don't operate like that. But back then it was different and, yeah. but we still managed to get through it and, and I think operate at a really high level. Well, Amazing. man, this, is, this has been my favourite episode. We've Mate, had more insight. I, I was this about to say, so much insight. And I could talk stuff. for another three hours. Oh yeah, I could sit and <laughs> talk really for hours. Could. You've got um, a very important talk to do. But maybe in a year's time, we'll catch up again. Yeah, man, some, we'll read the book. Yeah, we'll read, read the, the book. book and then we'll have another catch up. That's it. We'll come back for a book review. Yeah. No, but listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciate you having me on. And uh, like I say, the journey that you guys are on, I think is amazing. It's something this sport has been missing. It's so polished, so professional. You need to have the people that are at grassroots that are getting into it and share their story. And I, I reckon there must be so many people benefiting from what you're doing, living this life. I bet you're inspiring so many people. So you know, congratulations and thanks for making me part of it. Thank Appreciate you so it, much, bro. Yeah. We'll leave all your social links down below because I want everyone to go and watch everything you do. Yeah. Everyone's mm. now going to hear you on the game and put a face to it and name and they'll yeah, know exactly yeah. who you were as well. Because we've got a lot of new listeners who are like yeah. us new. Yeah, so yeah, So it's really great. cool to let you share your stories with them. That'd be great. And, and the other thing that, if you don't mind me doing a shameless plug. Oh, no. No, uh, we're going to ask anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, ahead, well, I do, I've just started actually in the last year doing a, my own podcast and it's very different to yours. Don't worry, we're not in competition here. <laughs> oh, um, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> cut, cut, <laughs> delete. But my, uh, you know, I talked to you about all this team culture stuff and the stuff that I do with these companies that I go and, I sp <clears throat> I've built now a career going into businesses and companies around the world, sharing the, sort of F1 philosophy on how to be better. And, uh, and having done that for a couple of years, I suddenly realized that this is not just stuff for companies and businesses. Everybody can benefit from taking on board and thinking a little bit more like a Formula One team. So, so I've created this podcast, it's called Pit Lane Life Lessons. And it is basically that, it's sharing stuff that's happening in the world of Formula One, stuff that's happening outside of Formula One, things that I get up to each week, and then showing how I deal with all the challenges that we all face in life thinking like a Formula One team might think. Yeah. So, you know, you know, yeah, it's about really coming up with a strategy to get through, you know, maybe a financial struggle or whatever you might be facing. Yeah. A Formula One team will almost always have an answer for it or find a way to find an answer for it. So 
this podcast I've done is started to, to share some of those. So if people want to go and check that out, I'd be really appreciative. Where is that available? Spotify? Everywhere, Apple yeah. Music. Pit Lane Life Lessons, it's called. We'll Amazing. put all the links down below for sure. We awesome. certainly will. People listening, please do rate the podcast five stars. We'll be back on, we're here every Monday and Thursday. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. This has been amazing. Legend. And we'll see you guys soon. Let's go. Bye-bye. Bye. Spirit Studios.